As we come now before the Word of God, if you'd like to read with me, I'll be in the Gospel according to John in chapter 11. That's John chapter 11. Uh, we'll read just a few verses in the center of this account here, John 11. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Our Lord, this is your word. And as your word, we know these things are true. This is the gospel of your salvation. So would you help us now to, to listen? Help us to believe and seal us here by your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is John chapter 11. I want to pick up here in verse 14, and we'll read uh, from there. So John chapter 11, beginning in verse 14. Then, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe but let's go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the word of God. Now, the whole Lazarus account is much longer than what we've just read. We've here dropped into the middle of the scene. This is familiar to us, so we know many of the broader details that the, this chapter, John chapter 11, begins with Lazarus ill. And in the middle, where we are now, Lazarus has died from that illness. And then by the end of the chapter, he is alive and well again, called back out of the tomb by Jesus. Our main focus out of all of this today is the specific question that Jesus asks Lazarus' sister, Martha. It's at the end of verse 26, where Jesus asks, do you 
believe this. That's what we want to look at. Do you believe this? We'll get there and begin to unpack that in just a moment. But before we do, I think we need to acknowledge that this scene is so familiar to many of us, at least in some ways it is for me, that it's easy to forget how truly bizarre these whole circumstances are, that a dead man would walk out of his tomb. I mean, even for Christians who strongly, firmly believe in the resurrection, none of us goes to a funeral expecting that by the end of that funeral, the person is going to grab the edge of the casket and climb back out. We don't even consider that as a possibility. It would at least be startling to us, and rightly so, because this is not common. So the scripture here does not say that these events here are common. The scripture does say that these events happened and then calls us to believe. So some would say that events like these, whether or not these events actually happened, whether or not they're really true, either way, we are still better off believing these sorts of things. Uh, so this, uh, similar to Pascal's wager, uh, if you ever heard of this? Uh, Pascal was a 17th century philosopher, so if you haven't heard about it, uh, don't feel bad, but you, it, uh, there's various forms at it, but the Pascal's wager goes something like this, uh, that, if, uh, that if a person is an atheist or disbelieves God and in the resurrection, if that atheist is right, it's no big deal. They live, they die, the end. But if that person is wrong, they are damned forever in the fires of hell. And that's a big risk. And so, as the wager goes, you might as well be a Christian. You know, because uh, the Christian who believes in God, believes in the resurrection, if the Christian is right, he spends uh, eternity forever in heaven with God. But if the Christian's wrong, it's no big deal. We live, we die, the end. And as a bonus, you know, maybe we had some sort of moral life as a believer anyway. So as the wager goes, it is just better off to hedge your bets. The believing side is much better on average. And that might sound reasonable and may to some degree make some logical sense, but it runs against the way that scripture speaks. I love Blaise Pascal, but he was wrong here. Um, in the famous resurrection chapter, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is talking tons about the resurrection, but particularly he makes the case this way, beginning in verse 13, Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead aren't raised. In other words, Paul's argument here is if the Christian is wrong about this, 
If there is no resurrection of the dead, it is not no big deal. If there is no resurrection, all of our preaching, all of your faith, even all of your knowledge of God, all of this is in vain. Because it will have been built on a lie. If there is no resurrection, our whole lives are like planets that are orbiting around a sun that doesn't really exist. And the scripture doesn't say, ah, well, at least you have good morals. No, and Paul would say, no, that means you're just kidding yourselves. While you float through space thinking you're going somewhere, you'd just be following some book of fairy stories until you hit your grave. If there is no resurrection, we have followed a false god. The risen Christ that we know, that we follow, that we love, and that we worship would be a figment of our own imagination, would be a creation of our own making. Our whole lives then would be delusional if there is no resurrection. So with stakes like this, they are much higher than just a simple wager of belief to weigh the pros and cons. For Christians, we are not just playing the odds here. We believe these things because they're true. Now, as it comes to belief, This may come as a surprise to some people, but the scripture does not praise belief as a concept. The scripture does not praise belief. Faith or belief itself, by itself, isn't a good thing. We can see it a number of places in scripture, but in the wisdom of the Proverbs, there's one I think that's just really punchy. Proverbs uh, 14, where is it? Verse Uh, 15 says this, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. The simple believes everything. If all belief is always good, then belief as a concept would be characteristics of of those who are wise, but that's not the case here. The simple, or the fool, we might say, believes everything. That means that this person holds a lot of bad beliefs. They've not given thought to their beliefs. They've not looked at the evidence for their belief. They just heard it somewhere, and that was enough for them to just believe. Bad beliefs are everywhere. Some of them are almost funny if they weren't so sad. We can think of many bad beliefs. Uh, Even today, many people still believe that the earth is flat. There are people who believe that the earth is flat. There are people who believe that the Holocaust of World War II never happened. And there are people who think that Elvis is still alive. 
Like there's maybe a little less riding on that one than on the other two, but there are people who believe this. And we might you know, look at that and maybe giggle a little bit, maybe even scoff uh, and, and think, oh, we don't need to take those things that seriously. But conspiracy theories are rampant everywhere. Bad beliefs these days are really strongly taking root. And there are many things that people are believing with little to no evidence to support them. So I was just reading recently a study by the Pew Pew Research Center that said 25% of U.S. adults, 25% believe that COVID was definitely or probably intentionally planned by powerful people. That's one out of four thinking, smart, intelligent U.S. adults believe that all of this global pandemic was just some dark plot that was cooked up somewhere. Now, I am a preacher, not a COVID expert. I'm not a scientist, and I want to step outside of my expertise. So I'm not trying to pick sides here, although it's confusing that there would even be sides. I can't even tease out what those are anymore. I'm not even interested in arguing about these things and trying to piece them out. I, I, I would simply ask that for those who believe that this was intentionally planned, what credible evidence or reason would there be for such a belief? It seems that most of the reasons are, are, are anchored in just speculation. Speculation that's usually pushed by a handful of people on the internet and on TV, most of whom are not at all qualified to speak to this sort of thing. But that doesn't stop them from speaking about it anyway, and people have believed them. Not just a few, one in four in our nation have believed this. Misplaced belief is harmful and dangerous. It may even be sin and deadly in that sense. If we put our belief in untrue or at least unfounded things, that begins to shape us, to change us, to affect what we do, how we think, how we live, how we are even. We become like the things that we believe in. So we take belief very seriously. The scripture then does not anywhere advocate that we just believe things. It doesn't advocate that we believe in everything. It only calls us to believe in true things. The thing that makes a belief good or bad is the content of that belief. Whether or not the content of the belief is true or not. So when we are called to certain particular beliefs in the scriptures, it's because those things are true and that we have good reason to know that they're true even. 
That's what makes it a good belief. Now, this brings us to Jesus' question here about belief. Do you believe this, he says. He's asking here about a particular belief anchored in a particular truth. What is that truth that Jesus is asking us to believe in? Let's take a look at what's happening here. So we need to back up just a little bit for some context. By this point, Lazarus, Martha's brother, has now already died. And Jesus is on his way then to Lazarus' house. Uh, and he says back in the section that we didn't read back in uh, verse 11 that he is going there to awaken him. Specifically, we hear his, some of his motive uh, here. So Jesus is now on his way in. He's closing in on the house when he's intercepted by one of the sisters, Martha here. We see her in verse uh, 21. She says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. This from Martha is likely not a criticism of Jesus. This isn't a complaint. It's hard to know how to read things with what tone. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. It's likely not that. This is likely just closer to sadness in her. Just wishful thinking. Partly because we hear her sister Mary say these exact words to Jesus later in verse 32, which would suggest that this was something they were talking about at home before Jesus got there. Oh, if only Jesus were here, he could have done something. He might have done something. At any rate, Jesus is here now. And his first words to this grieving woman are, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. Jesus here is talking about resurrection, and this would not have been particularly controversial or a, a groundbreaking statement from Jesus or from really anyone else. Martha, we can see it from her response. She immediately agrees with him. Yes, Lord, I know he will rise again on the last day. So we know that this idea of resurrection was already part of her Jewish system of belief, that even though the Old Testament background is a little less clear about what life after death looks like and how to piece it out a little less clear than the New Testament is on those things, there's still a lot of strong evidence that they believed um, in a final resurrection. We see it in several places but especially in the final chapter of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12. Let me read just a couple of verses there. Daniel chapter 12, if I pick up at the end of verse 1, Daniel says, At that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. This is a reference here to this big final resurrection, and this is what is on Martha's mind. Now, Jesus here is not denying that the final resurrection is true, that there will be a final resurrection, but it's also not quite what he means here. 
if you look at his response when she says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day, Jesus then says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is where now he gets to the question we're looking at. Do you believe this? What here is the this? What is Jesus actually asking her if she believes in? If we look closely, Jesus is not asking if she believes in some abstract theological truth about resurrection. We love theology. Theology is good, but that's not his concern here. He is also not asking if she believes whether the resurrection will happen or not. It will, but that's not his focus here. He says in this, in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Whoever believes in me believes that I am the res resurrection and the life. Jesus himself is the content of the belief. He's not just a mechanism, a tool that somehow gets us to eternal life. Jesus here is the life itself. So to believe in me or to believe in Jesus, of course, involves some sort of assessment of truth. But it's also more than just some truth concept in our minds. This is a belief that is based on both truth and trust. When Jesus says, do you believe this? He is saying, do you trust who I am? Martha, do you trust me? And Martha's response here shows that she, she gets it, at least partly. She doesn't say, yes, Lord, I believe in the doctrine of resurrection. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. I believe you. I trust you. That's helpful for us to see. There's a last note on this text that I think is instructive or at least helpful for us here that we should look at, and it's the, the timing of Jesus' question to this woman. Jesus does not ask if she believes after he raises Lazarus from the dead, after he gives a bunch of evidences and proofs. So the scene could have gone like this. He arrives, there's a whole big conversation. They go to the tomb. He says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus does. He comes out, unbind him, and let him go. And then Jesus could have said, I am the resurrection and, and the life. Do you believe this? <laughs> of course. Of course we do. Many, we see in those later verses, many did believe after they saw these things. Uh, they did follow Jesus after that, and we praise God for those sorts of things. But, but, that's not the case for Martha. 
And that's not the case for most Christians. Jesus asks if she believes before she gets to see her brother rise. Martha, at the point of this conversation here that we've read, Martha still at this point has no idea that her brother will come back from the dead that day, within just a few minutes even. She is still thinking in categories of resurrection on the last day. She is still thinking far in the future on these things. And yet Jesus is asking her if she believes and trusts him now before she'll see the tomb cracked open. This means that she doesn't have all the pieces of the puzzle. She's not looking at the full picture of the box on the outside. She does have some pieces of the puzzle, of course. Martha was very familiar with Jesus by this point. Jesus had spent quite a lot of time at her house. Jesus had taught her and her family. He had socialized with them. We're even told at the beginning of this text that Jesus loved them specifically. So she has a a strong history with Jesus by this point. Martha has enough knowledge of Jesus by now to have good reason to think that he is telling her the truth. So this is not totally uh, totally blind belief, but it's also not totally keen or clear sighted belief either. It's like Martha is looking through tinted lenses. Like she's looking through a glass darkly. And it's enough that she can really see who Jesus is. She can really see him, just not all of him. And that's enough that she's able to put belief in him, but also to have to take his hand to follow him that she's going to need to trust him for the parts that she can't see. And that's not a bad place to be. We could probably think of many situations where we might stand very similar shoes uh, to Martha's, where we can see part of the picture, but not all of it. And Jesus is just asking us, do you believe me? So we can think of lots of those, but one in particular is right in front of all of us these days. This week is our nation's official election day. And political seasons bring a lot of unknowns. They also tend to bring out a lot of unholiness in us. You know, political times are usually not our best selves. They draw out a lot of anxiety and bickering and jeering and anger or even a desire to just hide and escape from all of it. Something about the political time brings out the ugliness in us. And as much as we'd like to blame it all on the other party, It's usually in us more than we're willing to admit. 
You know, if we ever doubted that we are sinners and the need, in, in need of Jesus' grace, like a political election puts it right in front of us. And some would have us believe that in these coming days in the election, the weight of the world hangs on this day. That the whole weight of the world hangs on the outcome of this election. That's wrong. It doesn't. It's important. It's not everything. We know our voting matters, of course. We want to treat it with as much care and wisdom and prayerfulness as the Lord will give us. But let's not also forget that your vote is not the source of your life. Your country is not the source of your life. Your president is not the source of your life. Jesus, the Son of God, is. He is the source. He is your life. So whether in the coming days we, we will be sitting under President Donald Trump or, or President Joe Biden or President someone else, I suppose that's possible, whoever it is, we should respect and honor that person. And at the same time, let's not place all of our belief in them. We believe in Jesus. Jesus is the one who's the, who's the resurrection of the life. He is the truth that will never change. And so now, here is Jesus, the resurrection of the life, standing in front of us, asking us a question. Do you believe this? Will you pray with me? Ah, Lord, we know that you are not only life and the source, that you are not just the source of life, you are life itself. And we are frail and often full of sin. Lord, would you produce faith in us to really believe you, to really trust you. We know that you have conquered all things, even death itself. So bring us now to love you and to follow you and to give you all that we are. Do this in us, we ask now in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.